0: sociopolitical
1: issues one man searches for intelligent conversation from Dedham, Massachusetts the birthplace of modern democracy this is you don't have to yell with your host Dan Sally Sally, 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 welcome to YDHTY and thank you for making this the number one podcast for the independent voter if you are new here welcome and if you like what you hear today please share this episode with one friend because this podcast grows by what, everyone? That's right. It grows by word of mouth. Now, we are at the final in our series on critical race theory. And I know I promised you all a four-part series. We had some technical issues with guest number three, but we're hoping to have her back on to re-release that as a bonus episode. Now, to summarize what we've learned thus far... Number one, the people arguing about critical race theory don't always know what it is. Number two, when an issue comes out that's controversial, very often there is a segment of people who want to ban that idea from the public square. And that brings us to number three, this episode. What do the majority of people actually think? Well, to figure that out, I'm ending this series, as I always do, with Arjun Murthy of The Factual, a news aggregator designed to provide people with unbiased news with high credibility, and they ran a poll on the issue. Now, in this episode, Arjun and I discuss what the poll revealed and get into a much larger discussion about the nature of free speech, race, and the American experiment. Now, the second biggest surprise of our conversation was the fact that the people who responded actually knew what critical race theory was. For the biggest surprise, you're going to have to listen to the episode. You see what I did there? This is how we get you hooked. I will be back at the end with my final thoughts. You are an absolute cypher sore eyes, my (laughs) friend. Because I don't know why I thought covering the topic of critical race theory would not just absolutely blow up in my face you know it's only probably one of the most polemic issues being discussed right now (laughs) um but i have had an outpouring of comments let's call them on facebook um which makes sense because that's where everybody goes to fight uh i've been called a communist i've been called (laughs) a uh what did i called somebody called me a russian propaganda tool (laughs) i guess uh Jumping in then to the topic at hand, you know, when I started this series, it was really based on some content you put out there on The Factual around critical race theory and whether critical race theory should be taught in public schools. And I guess before we get into that, can you describe to the new listeners here what The Factual does?
0: Sure, yeah. So The Factual is a news service that helps people get unbiased news on trending topics, typically... U.S. world and business news. Uh, we have a rating system that transparently rates how objective and informative news stories are and we pick the best stories across the political spectrum on uh, five trending topics every day and we have it in a newsletter, in an app, and a website so that you can very quickly see what's important to know be caught up with handy summaries charts, get all the context you need, long reads, etc., and really be informed about these important issues that people are talking about. We also have a daily discussion forum that has polls so that uh, you can get a quantitative sense of how the community feels about an issue and why they feel a certain way about the issue. Very unusually respectful comments and thoughtful comments for the most part. So that's us in a nutshell.
1: I would agree with that. And I, and as a disclaimer too, this is not a sponsored arrangement. I'm a huge believer in the factual. I am a subscriber. And I felt the need to make that clear. And yes, the conversations are extremely respectful. Frankly, I should just promote my podcast there because I will probably <laughs> get beat up far less. Um, but, but you ran a poll a couple of weeks back on... Whether critical race theory should be taught in public schools, and and I want to get into that. The thing that really surprised me is how how slanted the results were. So typically, you know your you know your audience is a nice mix of all sorts of people from all political stripes. And so generally these responses or these polls kind of break down, you know 50-50. there's no, never seems to be a huge you know a clear winner. In this case, the audience seemed really like firm or really, really supportive of not allowing critical race theory to be taught.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, And and so just to reiterate, you know, we we have these daily polls and because our subscribers span all 50 states and really every socioeconomic class, political ideology, et cetera, you get a nice mix of people. And so one day you'll see a poll which seems to lean conservative and the next day you'll see another one that leans liberal and seems to oscillate back and forth kind of giving you a sense that people aren't uniformly conservative or liberal. At least our audience is a mix. Sometimes they agree with views on one side, sometimes they agree with views on the other side, and sometimes they're split down the middle. And so, yeah, in this case with critical race theory, it was 64% said, yes, it should be banned from being taught in schools. 30% said, no, it should not be banned. And 6% said they were unsure. It's about it was a decent sample size, 526 votes. And this, the context was this was when Idaho had passed a law saying that critical race theory should be banned from being taught in schools. So I think what's very interesting about it, uh, when you read the comments, is there's actually a lot of agreement on some of the basics. For example, even the people who say they should ban critical race theory don't argue with the racist past of the United States. They agree, yeah, the U.S. has some horrible stuff in its past. And still has horrible stuff today. Um, Hopefully better today than it was years ago. But yes, those are awful things that happened in the past. And there also is agreement that we should not hide the past. It's history. You should know history of your country. Good and bad, you should know all of it. Because then you get a true representation of what your country is. But I think there are certain elements of critical race theory that... Uh, rub people the wrong way, sometimes because they don't really understand critical race theory, sometimes because they explicitly understand it very well, and they disagree with some of its core tenets. So the core tenet that probably gets the most pushback with critical race theory is that critical race theory advocates, it says, at high level, it says, look, the civil rights movement was great, but we came out saying, let's have colorblind policies, So it's, you know, the law is equal no matter what. And when we do that, then finally black people and other minorities will have uh, equal footing with everyone else and they're going to advance. But then 40 or 50 years later, we take a look around and it looks like black people haven't advanced as much as you would hope. There's still a big gap. And so critical race theory says that colorblind policies have failed. And in order to fix the imbalance... You actually need color-specific policies, you need policies that are specific to certain races in order to bring about equality. And that is the part that I think really gets people um, upset. You know, they agree with all the, the, the basic premise. Yes, the history, bad. Yes, we should study it, not shun it. But going back on what the civil rights movement accomplished, which was colorblind policies and saying that's wrong and saying you need to have color-specific policies in order to bring about equality, that seems racist to people that disagree with CRT. And that's the rub right there.
1: That is interesting. So your audience actually knew what critical race theory was then.
0: Because one of the things
1: I discovered is what we debate about as critical race theory and what it actually is, is are two totally different things.
0: Yes, that's true. And the truth is a lot of people do argue about it, both for and against, without necessarily knowing all the details. Uh, so whenever we run a poll, we provide a lot of context. We have articles that we've picked using our rating system from, again, across the political spectrum, usually three different articles, giving you different points of view on it, including an in-depth piece, charts and graphs, things like that. So, you, you know, when you're going to vote and comment, you have some good information around it. And occasionally, uh, the factual, we don't usually write the news. Our thesis has always been there is great news out there. Our job is to find it. We're not journalists, so we don't tend to write it. But occasionally, we use our political science analyst and our data science team to do sort of a comprehensive uh, analysis and review of a topic that's just really divisive and hard to get a good read on. And so we did that for Critical Race Theory, and we have an article on it, and um, it's really good. It talks all about the reasons and evidence that proponents – use for critical race theory and the reasons and evidence that critics have against it and sort of what the facts are. And, and then we leave it at that. The idea is, you know, you, the reader, will reach your own conclusions, whether to agree with it or not. And that article is very well received. It's a really good read. If anyone wants to sort of get the good and the bad of critical race theory, or at least the arguments for and against it, uh, I would strongly recommend reading the one by the factual team. So yes, so people did have context going in.
1: What about the people who actually were supporters of teaching CRT in school?
0: I'll give you one of the quotes. We highlight some of the best quotes in the subsequent day's newsletter. So it says, as a white person, I found critical race theory life-changing. It doesn't make me feel inferior, but helps me see myself more clearly in a larger historical context. White people need to gain some resilience. If they feel guilty or ashamed of their ancestors' action, that's fine. But no one's asking you to be in constant shame. And, you know, that's something that a lot of critics say is that critical race theory makes you, it's supposed to make you ashamed of your past. And so here's someone saying, I don't feel ashamed at all. I just think it's understanding history. And then another person said, you know, first of all, the idea of banning something is itself fairly unusual in America. You know, we're very, and, and that you're banning an idea like critical race theory. I mean, why ban it? Now have it out there. Have it with every other theory you want. Let's duke it out in the marketplace of ideas and and let the best one win. But banning things is fairly un-American. So there's a a bunch of comments around that saying, you know, a lot of people, maybe you don't really understand critical race theory. For example, here's a very interesting point. There are all these laws talking about banning critical race theory from high schools. The reality is it's actually not taught in high schools. In fact, I don't know any high school that has it. Um, It is usually a college level course. And it was originated by college professors back in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of fear-mongering in that sense. Let's ban something from high school, but it's not there yet. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely some FUD uh, in there.
1: there. There are a couple of things that, that I want to explore here. I, I think the, the first one I want to jump back to is this idea that we don't ban ideas in America. And this gets back to what we talked about in our last episode on tech censorship, which is there are a group of people who feel that we should put all this information out there, right? And to your point, the marketplace of ideas, let the best idea win. So, for example, when it comes to uh, tech companies uh, suppressing COVID disinformation, one of the comments made on the poll was, you know, what's disinformation today is not necessarily disinformation uh, in 12 months, as we saw with the lab leak theory, for example, which has gained a little traction, not has, has not fully been proven, but is a little but is viewed as a little more than a conspiracy theory now. And I see this again with CRT, which is there are a group of people who are very eager to enforce one version of ideas. And And I wonder in those comments, and you can even go back to polls unrelated to CRT, you know I feel like we always talk about how the free expression of ideas, is essential to American democracy and is essential to our progress as a society. But I don't see a ton of support for it when the rubber meets the road on more controversial issues.
0: Yeah, I think it's hard, you know, because the marketplace of ideas concept works well in certain settings, the namely being it seems like now if you are intentionally or maybe unintentionally maligning an idea, um, you take its more extreme version, its more obscure, bad parts of it and tout it vigorously, then you get the loudest microphone. And so the marketplace of ideas isn't an even playing field because some people are screaming at the top of their lungs and they're screaming such scary stuff that people are like, oh my God, maybe that person's right. And then they start to get more credence than they deserve. The marketplace of ideas works well if everyone's like has a quiet place to think and says, you know, I took some time. I read this and I read that. And I decided that this is where I stand on the issue. But not everyone is there. The good news is actually, you know, what we are showing with the factual is more Americans are in that ilk than they are in the megaphone screaming on social media Elk, It sometimes feels like all of us are on social media, and that's where discourse is happening. But that's not true. Uh, One of the best stats that I've seen is, you know, Twitter, for all of its political and social prominence and relevance, and it is relevant, is still a tiny fraction of the population. Something like 15% of Americans are on Twitter, maybe 5% get news on it, 2% are active on it. It's, a, it's tiny numbers. So when did that slice become representative of the US? That's not true at all. And most of us are actually having conversations in living rooms and in in driveways and in malls or wherever. Uh, and hopefully with some other people that are thoughtful and, and off the social media madness, maybe they're having better conversations than we think. And all the stuff that we hear in the news is not actually representative of regular
1: folks. And I would agree with that too. I generally feel it's weird. People are so much more nuanced than they are on social media, number one. Uh, But number two, people are so much more likely on the internet to fill in the blanks with what they think you think. So it becomes very, very difficult to have a meaningful conversation when stating one particular position automatically has you inheriting a whole bunch of different policy positions and a whole bunch of different things that people might think about you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I tried to do in these discussions that were coming out on Facebook is be fact-based, but also try to acknowledge that whoever is commenting within reason as long as you are not calling me like an operative from a Russian troll farm, <laughs> um, I'm going to you know, make an attempt to acknowledge that you are contributing something to the conversation. And I, I think that that moves into the next thing that I wanted to talk about here, which is that, you know, to your point, critical race theory is not being taught in K to 12 schools. It's not even universally accessible at the college level. That's right. Is you know, you have to go, you have to seek it out. And yet we have pieces of legislation being passed not allowing it to be taught when it isn't being taught in the first place. And I I'm I'm curious as to maybe if your comments or if the comments on this poll revealed anything to this effect. It seems that the spark in this fire is discussing race and racism in the United States. And it seems to elicit a very, very strong reaction in some people, as I've seen. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether there were any comments or anything else that appeared in the information you looked at that would indicate kind of where these feelings came from. Like, what was triggering that reaction? Because I still don't get it.
0: Um, I definitely see it. Uh, You know, one of the commenters who uh, said yes, you know, the theory should be banned, said, look, the way it's taught, critical race theory seems to rewrite history and also seems to paint with broad brushstrokes those who are not of color as inherently racist. I believe that such teaching does nothing for equality and actually accomplishes the opposite of its intended goal. Lately, it seems like the loudest and most violent voices have intentionally forgotten Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And what I see as people who are so opposed to it uh, is saying, no one said America is perfect, but we have much to be proud of. This nation has accomplished quite a bit. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a very young nation, 200-ish years old, and a lot has come out of the United States. And of course, there's lots of bad, but there's lots of good as well. But it seems like critical race theory, to them, just takes a big brush and says, you know what, it's all on the backs of slaves, it's all bad, everything that you see is really on the backs of this one segment of the population that has just been maligned and abused and and taken advantage of, and there's nothing to be proud of. That's how they see it. Yeah. And I think, I, I understand that. I, I, like I said, I think, you know, what, what happens with this discussion is... Um, why I think it's best not on social media or on a place like The Factual where you know, you don't get followers and likes and hearts and tweets, we've removed all that nonsense, is that the real answer for a lot of these polls and a lot of these questions is, yeah, I'm unsure. Man, that's a tough issue. Pick anything. Pick critical race theory, pick Afghanistan, pick Iran, pick whatever you, you want. They're all really hard issues. There are so many good reasons for and against an issue. And if you really want to be genuinely thoughtful about it, you would be hard-pressed to hate someone on the other side. You would say, while I don't necessarily agree with you, I can understand why you would be there. That's okay that we think differently on this. I don't necessarily hate you. This is a, a hard topic. I mean, look, if I wanted to put up a case against CRT, I absolutely could. If I wanted to put up a case for CRT, absolutely could. It's not easy. So I'm hopeful that what comes out of a lot of these kinds of discussions and polls and, and this podcast is people's takeaway saying, these issues are complicated. I want to learn more about it and reach my own conclusions. And whatever conclusion I reach, those people that reach a different conclusion than me, they're not dumb and they're not malicious. They just reach a different conclusion. That, that's what human nature is. We, we sometimes reach different conclusions, with the same data. That's okay.
1: folks, that's the number of people in America who don't identify with either major party, bigger than either of them in terms of voters. 60% is the number of Americans who feel another major party is needed. Both are a signal something's wrong, and both are a signal Americans are looking for something more, and that is why you listen to You Don't Have to Yell. Now, nothing's going to change until we open up the two-party system to real political competition. And in the right numbers, we can make this happen. So here are two ways you can help. Number one, if you dig the content on YDHTY and you know someone else who would, please share this show with them. The goal of YDHTY is not just to push for electoral reform, but to get the center back into the conversation. And this podcast grows by word of mouth. Number two, if you want to take action in your state, visit rankthevote.us. It's an organization focused on growing the ranked choice voting movement in all 50 states and while there are no shortages of ways to reform elections in this country rank choice voting is by far the most practical and effective way to make elected officials accountable to the majority of voters not just the parties 2020 is going to be a decade of change and i hope you'll choose to join me in making the change for the better and now back to the episode It's funny, one of the guests for this series, uh, Amna Khalid, who I was talking about earlier, one of the things I brought up was what's going on in Afghanistan and can we learn something from the tribalism that we see in that part of the world? And her response, which was brilliant, was you know, I think the United States is well suited to understand tribalism right now. (laughs) And which was a sick burn, by the way.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, right. But to kind of build on that, we have this perception in this country that we killed it, that we killed tribalism. Yeah. We came in, we wrote a constitution, burned all the witches, and now tribalism is gone, you know, and that's, and that's great. And, and I think the reality is, is that You know, the same forces that we see in a place like Afghanistan, those same tribal forces exist here and are just harnessed in a different way. And I think the hard work comes when we get into a big issue like this, when we get into an issue that's that's contentious and that challenges someone's view of of how the country they love has stacked up against the ideals that it supposedly espouses.
0: I think what I'm what I'm hopeful is that if more people argue, debate, and research in good faith, we're gonna be alright. If people do that in bad faith, if they're looking for ways to just you know stab you or spike you with some little piece of it or, you know, just really crucify you publicly, that's bad faith. And that's nothing is gonna come of that. Nothing good. So that I think is what we should see more of and starting from our political leaders on down to community leaders to all of us is genuinely try to understand that's our job is to try to understand uh, the issue the other side all these other things and whatever your conclusion is that's great but because you made an effort to understand it all you probably would be more I don't know considerate gentle polite kind all the good things that our parents taught us You'll be that with people that are different than you. And then that is what would make America great. We will accomplish the greatest things because we're okay with our diversity. We're okay with our history. We're okay with our problems. And we're still going to succeed. And we're going to fix all these mistakes because, yeah, we're that kind of optimistic nation.
1: I am 100% with you there. And I would also like to add that if you do decide to take it to social media, wear your flak jacket, because it's not real for that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, it's not. And um, we've learned the hard way that if you're not willing to be extreme, and if you're not willing to poke someone's eye out, you just don't get engagement on social. And so we don't, we don't actually have a big standing on social media. And I think I should be I'm proud of that. Like, yeah, we're not we're pretty cut and dry. I don't know what to tell you. It's not it's not that exciting. It's kind of here are the facts.
1: <laughs> Do you know there was one question I didn't write down and I wanted to ask you this. Yeah. You know, a lot of this debate centers around American history. You know, a lot of this debate centers around things specific to America. You were educated in Canada. What's What's the conversation like there
0: well I've been in the u s now for gosh twenty twenty two years so you've been here a I'm, long time yeah yeah I'm probably more I definitely am more American than Canadian uh, just from a number of years live standpoint so uh, apologies to Canadians if I don't get this all right but back then um, we definitely studied a lot about Canadian history, particularly around uh, you know there was a French contingent English contingent in in Canada and and sort of different wars and battles that happened and and how Canada was formed and provinces and blah, blah, blah. One of the things that's happening a lot more now, uh, more so than even when I was in school, is a reckoning with how Canada and Canadian government treated uh, Indigenous people. So Indigenous people in Canada were, like probably in the US, generally taken advantage of, quite abused in, in a number of ways. And you know, yeah, I, th- I think people know that their, their society is really not doing very well. When they came into contact with Western societies, because of both our diseases and our vices, a lot of things, it just didn't work well with them, and it really decimated their populations. But more than that, now Canada is having a huge reckoning on how, for example, residential schools, which is basically boarding schools, for indigenous people how awful they were they forcibly just took these kids away from their tribe sometimes put them in these places really abused them a lot of them died in horrific ways that are only now being unearthed the whole thing is just terrible so i think you know a lot of countries not just america have bad parts of history that we don't all want to confront uh, australia's got issues new zealand's got issues you name it. Uh, India's got issues. We all have it. Uh, So coming to grips with history is a tough, tough thing. But I hope that people of all of their countries, and me as a Canadian, and as a pseudo-American, you can still be proud of what your nation has done and accomplished. And there's lots to be proud of, while still acknowledging that, boy, man, we really screwed up in the past, and we've got to go fix some wrongs. The two are not mutually exclusive. And I think that should be the, the takeaway when we study history. We've all got bad. It doesn't mean that we're still bad. We've got work to do. That's all.
1: Well, if you consider yourself pseudo-American, I would say you've just emerged from your chrysalis as a full American with that statement right there, Arjun. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that scene in Pinocchio where he came out of the belly of the whale and washed on the beach a real boy. You, <laughs> you, you have no strings on you, Arjun. You're free.
0: Thanks, man. I'll tell you, you know, one of the best quotes about America came from my dad. Um, like a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, I was fairly leftist, you know, when I would read about American foreign policy. I'm like, oh, my God, American foreign policy is awful. It's so inconsistent. It's so it's so self-serving. And it's caused all these problems and blah, blah, blah. And of course, there's a lot of truth to that. And then, uh, I don't know, we we're talking about something and my dad he's like, okay, explain me this hot shot. America's so bad and it's got all these problems. Why is it that everyone still wants to immigrate here? Why is it the number one destination of immigrants? And is a few years ago when it still was number one. And I was just like dumbfounded. And I couldn't, I didn't have a good answer. And we had gone, you know, we immigrated first to Canada because it's much easier to go to Canada uh, than it is the United States. And my dad, having worked in boats, said, unequivocally, the United States gives people more opportunity than any other country in the world, no matter what your background is. No other country does it as well as the US. And of course we could be better, but are you kidding me? Mo- how many stories do we know about immigrants that come to the United States with just a few dollars in their pocket at most, and the only clothes they've got are the clothes they're wearing. And then years later they are, they're super successful and they kill themselves to get there. And I'm sure there's survivor bias and there's some that didn't get there. But I'm still telling you, everyone around the world knows this and they want to come here despite all of America's ills. We can't be that bad if that's what everyone else wants to come here. You know, it, it's got to be that there's some good here.
1: I love it. I'm going to give a Netflix recommendation before we sign off, <laughs> which is for you and every, anyone else who hasn't watched it. Have you seen The Donut King?
0: No. What is it? I, I don't get to watch Netflix anymore, but anyways.
1: <laughs> of course you don't. You have a dog and you have young kids. So it's a, it was a total sleeper. Uh-huh. when i was flying out to see my brother it was on it was on the plane i watched the thing from beginning to end it is such an inspiring story documenting that journey and oh. and and there's so many lessons in it how we how we treat immigrants in this country the opportunities that people have when they go after it uh, I'm I'm not going to give any spoilers, but how you can blow that opportunity with the wrong <laughs> behaviors. You know, you can't have a rise without a fall. So at any rate, yeah. would strongly yeah. recommend that for cool uh, you and for anyone else.
0: I will definitely. That sounds uh, that sounds good. It's uh it's fun seeing those stories actually, and especially if you're part of the immigrant community like I am, and and Dan, you're only a few generations from that yourself. You know those stories, and they're inspiring, and they're. Yeah, they bring tears to my eyes when I even think about all these people, including my father and mother, who just slogged. Oh my God, they held two jobs for most of their lives. It's brutal. Yeah, I'm really grateful for what they did. I'm grateful that this country gave them the opportunity and it's us to now take it to the next step. So yeah, there's lots to be proud of still.
1: I'm with you there, man. Well, once again, thank you for a lovely conversation, Arjun, (laughs) and... Hopefully, our next topic does not get me in nearly as much trouble.
0: <laughs> Thank you as well, Dan. It's so much fun chatting with you. Yeah, I think uh, lots and lots of contentious issues to talk about, and hopefully, your listeners are are enjoying it, and you know, and and seeing the complexity of it, and yeah, feeling better about themselves and the issues. Yeah, I hope so.
1: Come save me on Facebook, everybody. That's my <laughs> final note. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please consider leaving YDHTY a really nice review. This podcast grows by making food from sunlight via a process known as photosynthesis and word of mouth. I have a link to Arjun's article and more on the show notes at YDHTY.com. Click on the link that says Episodes in the upper right-hand corner, and ye shall find. So... As always, the case with Arjun, we veered off into some wider ranging topics and both in this conversation and the series at large, I reached a few conclusions. The first is that there are some very thoughtful critiques against some of the concepts of critical race theory that don't involve painting its supporters as the Red Scare 2.0. And I think it's important we have a place where people can discuss these differences openly and without name calling. Number two is that what we're trying to do here runs against millennia of human history. Tribalism and otherizing are an unfortunate part of the human condition, and America's system of government was designed to work against those impulses. And this is why you can't ban ideas the majority of people don't like, and it's in this discomfort where we grow as a society. Now, lastly, is that while our constitution might be designed to counteract the effects of tribalism, our electoral system does not. And anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows that our current electoral system actually encourages elected officials to split voters into tribal factions, which is why we see legislation being passed prohibiting the teaching of a theory in public schools that isn't being taught in public schools. If you're new to the show, and this is your first time hearing this, you can learn more by visiting YDHTY.com, clicking Issues in the menu at the top of the screen, and selecting Electoral Reform. I walk you right through it. As always, music courtesy of Queller YDHTY's editorial advisor is the admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in loving memory of the big Geno, Jason Putney, Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Bye-bye.